we are working our way through the, the Bible, and we are at the book of Amos today, and I've got to prepare you for this. Amos will not leave any of us unscathed. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, or don't caretarian. It is, he is going to hit you and hit you hard. For when you get to Amos, you see the mind and the heart of God. You, you've seen all kinds of laws in the Old Testament. You've seen all kinds of sacrifices, endless descriptions of rituals and temple and cleanliness and marriage rules and marriage laws and all those books full of them to the point where your eyes cross sometimes. But here, unlike some of the previous books, you see what God's priorities really are. You see what breaks God's heart. Amos comes out of nowhere. Like many of you, you might feel like, well, I, don't, I can't really speak for God. Amos was one of those guys. He has, no, as far as we can tell, no prophetic school, no priestly school, no heritage, no lineage, no great important father or family, no training, as far as we can tell. And he comes out of nowhere to denounce very modern things, international terrorism, indiscriminate war, slavery and trafficking, and the lack of, and brace yourself, the lack of social justice. Need to talk about that for a bit. For a long time, we knew what social justice meant. But in recent years, political parties have decided to war over that phrase. And so when I say it, some of you, some of your knees will jerk one direction and some will jerk the other. Quit being a jerk. <laughs> when we say show social justice, what we mean is we believe that every person is made in the image of God and should be treated accordingly. And that means, yes, with liberty and freedom. It also means with dignity. It means that we do not oppress anyone. And we do not join others to oppress anyone. But instead, we treat them as the creation of God that they are. And we do not deny them justice. God's justice, not any human definition that you want to trot out. So when we use the term that, that Amos is the prophet of social justice, do not look upon that the way that the phrase has been used by any party in recent years. It's not a bad thing. It means we're concerned that everybody gets treated the way that they should be treated, that none are enslaved, that none are robbed of their rights or beaten down so that others may live in power and luxury off of their labors. In chapter 1, Amos picks, paints a terrible picture. I, I knew that we would still have some small people among us, and so I'm not going to read some of those descriptions. But what he describes in chapter 1 is indiscriminate war against civilians. We've seen it. We see it in our newscasts even today with the executions in a variety of barbaric ways against children, against women, against civilians. War against the weak. Amos blasts it. He blasts slavery. He blasts cruelty against women. He blasts the selfishness of the lust for power, which drives most of what we see on our news and often what we see in our mirrors. He blasts those who kill 
those who enslave or those who harm others so that they may gain power. He declares them cursed of God, anathema, condemned by God. In chapter 2, Amos turns away from the sins of all those nations around them. At this stage, probably the people of Israel and Judah were, were saying, yes, yes, those people over there are quite terrible people. But then he turns and looks at Israel's sins. He says in verse 4 that Judah will be taken away. Both, he, he preaches to both Israel and Judah, the northern and the southern kingdoms. And he says, Judah will be taken away, literally taken into captivity by a foreign power because, quote, they have rejected the law of the Lord. Now, if when you read this, you were paying attention, you might have asked yourself, the law? We've just read a bunch of books. In fact, we can count in the Old Testament 611 laws. So when it says the law of the Lord, what in the world is he talking about? Well, he tells us, not Amos, God does. And the teens over here spent a week intensively looking at it. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Now read that with me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. There you go. That's the law of God. And if you have any trouble thinking, well, you can't distill everything into that. Well, I didn't, but Jesus did. In Matthew chapter 22, let's put that up there. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. That's social justice. Love God, love each other. Don't hurt people. Love God, love each other. That's our law. And as I, I, I talk, got to talk one time to the teens during their camp week, and I brought up, if you are jumping out of an airplane for the first time, you've done your pre-jump school, you've learned how to fall, you have to learn how to fall. A lot of you think you're naturally gifted, but no, there's a way. And you have to know how the, the parachute is prepared. You have to know the gear. In fact, when you stand up, you'll even get shaken a bit to make sure everything is fitting and nothing is rattling. Then as you get in the line in the back of the C-130 or C-5 or whatever you're in, goes down and now you're about to go. If the jump master leads in, usually a sergeant, you know, a few up, a few down, and he leans over and he says, now the most important thing is your mind won't be wondering. You won't be thinking, I like pie. <laughs> we have found that people with attention deficit disorder normally don't get a second jump. <laughs> Variety of reasons. But they make a big impression. The point I'm, I'm trying to get to here, that wasn't in the notes and shouldn't ever be in the notes. Um, <laughs> When Jesus says something is the most important thing, pay attention. And he said the most important thing, love God, love each other. Now, by the way, uh, just a, a simple little corrective here. Every so often you'll see it, joy, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. 
God never asked you to put yourself last. He didn't say love your neighbors and then yourself. He said love your neighbors as yourself. Do for them what you would want done for you. Love them like you want to be loved. God's not trying to shove you down. He's saying, no, love everybody. That's what's most important. Well, Amos says our lack of love can be seen in what we choose to buy and do with our money and power. One of the most damning verses in all of Scripture is Amos chapter 2 and verse 6. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. You sell the poor so you can have more shoes. You sell innocent people so you can have more stuff. I was reading a report, there's a new book out actually on this, about food production. And I know you're thinking, wow, I've got to get that book for Christmas. Somebody's got to know this stuff. It is estimated, our best guess is between 30 and 40% of all food is not consumed. 30 to 40% is wasted. Now that's not you know, on your plate and you know, in your refrigerator, although that's part of it, yes. Politics gets in the way. Do you remember the Ethiopian famine of the 80s when we are the world and all that was going on? Ethiopia and Somalia were getting wonderful rains. They weren't in a drought. The reason they were in a famine is because of war and because of governments not allowing people to get to the food. And so what did we do? We sang a song. We had a bunch of people that were rock stars and used to be rock stars or thought they were rock stars, all sing songs. And we sent food over and it rotted on the docks because the warlords wouldn't let it be distributed. God condemns this. He says, you've got so much stuff. Walk in your closets, what hasn't been worn. Walk in your, your, your garage, and it's so hard to garage. Why do you say that like the French? It's a garage. You don't say anything else like the French. Well, yeah, I guess you do chauffeur, uh, but um, <laughs> it's a garage. Anyway, um, I know you won the war. Uh, somebody... I noticed the celebration last night. Um, somebody even tweeted to me, it sounds like the, battle, uh, the War of 1812 over here. And I'm thinking, right, remind me of another war we lost. That's fine. That's, that's what we want. <laughs> Although we did burn the White House for you in that one, and you're welcome. Um, <laughs> let's get back to the note, shall we? Um, we... We, uh, we have so much money, we have so many celebrations, we have so much stuff. We go into our garage, we see stuff we haven't used. We go into our closets, we see stuff we haven't worn. We, we're in our house, there are things we've not used in the house. And God says, rust is a witness against you. That you bought so much stuff you couldn't even use it when they were poor. There were poor there. By the way, Amos doesn't let you take the easy road out and saying, well, the government then should, we should make the government. No, no, it's not government, it's you. It's you. When you see a hungry person, don't think, well, the government should feed them. You feed them. We take, we don't give that over to the government. We do it. Thomas Jefferson's biographer once said, show me a man's checkbook and I'll tell you who he is. 
Selfishness is the root of all sin. I know some of you are thinking, oh, it's the love of money. What is the love of money? It's selfishness. Every sin starts in selfishness. And selfishness has destroyed our Christian witness more than once. Once we, we get more and more stuff, and we make our stuff our lives, we have to have our stuff. I don't know how hard it was for some of the teens to go without media for a while, but I want you to remember the iPhone came out in 2007. That's how recent this is. The iPad, 2010. Bet you thought it'd been around longer. We learn to become addicted to our stuff. Take a look at Amos chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. What's going on there? I know it's language we're not really understanding. Back then, when you uh, loaned somebody money, you took collateral from them, perhaps stored up wine, their garments, or the like. And they're saying, you're just trampling on them and using them as carpets. These poor people needed money. You had extra money. You gave them the money, but you still took their stuff. And you used their stuff when they could have used it. Remember, the law in the Old Testament was, if you take a garment as a, as a security for a loan, you have to give it back at night because they could be cold. God's law was very different than ours. No Republican, Democrat, or Libertarian is going to get out of this thing without getting hit. Amos is that way. He's the cosmic dentist. You got to go, but eventually you're going to get something. And it's not going to be pleasant. I apologize to the dentist. You, it's not like you designed the mouth. Worship of the wrong gods. Misuse of women and the weak. Forgetting God's rules on cleanliness, which weren't about having fun. They were about respect and dignity. About being good to each other. When God says, do not commit adultery, he's not saying, I don't like you having fun. He's saying, don't misuse each other and break others' hearts. Be gentle with each other. Show respect to each other. When he says, thou shalt not steal, he's not talking about those with the power get the gold. No, he's, he's saying, don't hurt people. When they've worked for th something, don't take it from them. Value them more than the stuff. When we confront people with this, however, we often get taken to court and find that in this world, justice doesn't happen in courts. Amos chapter 5 and verse 10, there are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. Have you noticed that at all? Anybody notice this a bit? That if you tell the truth about anything, you will be attacked which is why politicians never answer questions. Because if they do, they're going to get jumped. And so they say what they were going to say anyway. And you learn how to equivocate. And it's not just politicians. We've all learned to be fearful of speaking truth. What about those who build palaces for themselves by not paying their workers adequate wages? Amos goes after that. 
Take a look at this in chapter 2 and chapter 5. Again, they trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. Look later, you levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. When we misuse others so that we may have more, God calls that injustice. And he makes a record of it. We must be very careful here. The way we treat others. Go ahead and squirm. If this is hitting you politically, it hits all of us, personally, politically, philosophically. God's not interested in us being comfortable. Years ago, when we worked in Detroit, um, there were times we'd have visitors come through and they'd walk up and they'd say, you did something in worship that didn't make, I was uncomfortable with that. And I'd look at them and say, why do you think we were going for comfort? Why do you think your comfort is something which is one of our top 10 goals? And they'd be offended by this, but I wouldn't let them go because then I would talk to them about comfort's not what we're here for. We're here to worship God. And when you worship God, you come into the presence of God, he's going to make you uncomfortable. And we have dedicated Christians. They're Christians. They're saved. They're going to heaven. Who vote for pro-abortion people because they think that'll help their pocketbook or make them feel better and then we have others that vote for war at, at, at the drop of a hat people because they think well that'll you know that'll make me feel be careful no wonder that some people like Lipscomb decided he couldn't vote at all I'm not there I vote but I think a lot I pray a lot and sometimes I say Lord forgive me before I pull this lever I think I'm right but if I'm wrong Send somebody else to cancel out this vote. <laughs> and he has. It all comes down to this. Do not agree with this culture. Any culture. Do not agree with it. We are resident aliens. We are strangers here. We are just a passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I love those old bluegrassy type hymns like Farther Along we sang today. Although Mark needs work on getting his bluegrass on. He's, um, he's working on it. And you probably don't want to hurt a banjos up here playing Abide With Me. So fair enough. I got gotcha. you. Well, that would be tragic. Anyway, um... Those songs were to remind us that we are pilgrims and strangers. We are resident aliens. We are not citizens of the world anymore, God said. We are citizens of heaven. That changes everything. Look at this longer reading out of Amos chapter 3. Hear this word, people of Israel. The word the Lord has spoken against you. By the way, you never want to hear that. Against the whole family I brought up out of Egypt. You only, you only, have I chosen of all the families of the earth? Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. Do, do two walk together unless they've agreed to do so? Does a lion roar in the thicket when it has no prey? Does it growl in its den when it has caught nothing? Does a bird swoop down to, the ground, to a trap on the ground when no bait is there? 
Does a trap spring up from the ground if it's not caught anything? When a trumpet sounds in the city, do not the people tremble? When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? What in the world is he talking about? He's saying, open your eyes, get your head on a swivel, notice what's happening. Can't you see God is warning us? I believe that he is. I don't know. I'm not trying to be hyperdramatic here. I don't believe that we're about to be led into to Egypt. I don't believe that there's any indication that these are the last days, but at least for us as, as a planet. But what I can tell you is that if you look at the, at the riots, at the crime, at the brokenness, at the shattered families, at the abused children, there have been lions roaring and the warnings have been coming and God says, I give those to you so that you will realize it's not good. It's not safe. How did we get to this place? Here's another verse that is very difficult. He calls the families cows. He says, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. In other words, you're always demanding more, more, more. I got into trouble once. Actually, I've gotten into trouble quite a bit. It's a gift. But I, in this particular time, I was doing a youth rally for about 1,000 kids up in the Akron area. If you've never been to Akron, no particular reason, uh, it's, but it's there. And that's where the rally was. So I went up there, did, 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 the, um, uh, did the rally. And one of the things we talked about was this. Don't live your life to accumulate and protect stuff because you can't do that without being unjust. I told them, I want you to do something. I want you to go to the mall. They were very excited. It's back in the 80s when the mall was still the big thing. I said, I want you to go to the mall. I want you to go looking for something you need that it is proper for you to have. It is, it is that is, that's a, it could even be a, a blessing for you that you've got the money for. But when, I, when you do find it, I want you to look at it and then I want you to put it back and say out loud, I have enough. I got angry phone calls from parents that said, we're trying to go back to school shopping with our kids and buy them clothes, and they keep saying, no, they've got enough. And, you're, and I'm going, uh, if you're tired of that kid, I know people that would like to adopt it. <laughs> we, the great American pastime used to be reading, working, singing in groups, or um, creating something, you're building a barn, and, or things like this. Now it's shopping. It's what you do. What happened is we forgot the lesson of Amos. So what do we do? What do we have to do to show repentance? Well, look at Amos. He'll tell you. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Just burn that on your brain. My job today is to seek good, not evil. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you 
just as you say he is. Ooh, did, let's go back to Did you see that last phrase? He'll be with you just as you say he is. In other words, you've been saying he's been with you. The Lord's on our side. But he hasn't been. You want him there? Do good, not evil. Now we'll go. Hate evil. Love good. Maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. One of the reasons evil exists is because we've never learned to hate it. We're entertained by it. We uh, sometimes engage in it. And then we will lower the level of language. It's not committing adultery. It's not breaking your marriage vow. It's having a fling. It's an affair. There's even commercials now about websites to go to help you do it. And we'll, people say, well, you know, everybody lies about sex. That's all right. Everybody lies. We don't hate evil. I, I don't do counseling anymore, don't have the time, don't really have the temperament. <laughs> when you want to slap everybody, it's not good. <laughs> I was told by the board. Um, when, but for years I ran it, and I, part of me wished that every young teen could come and just sit silently in my office for one week and see the effect of sin. And it's not fun. And it breaks you. And it breaks families. And to watch people sob for what they've lost or what they've done or what has been done to them. And then you learn to hate evil enough to where you don't play with it anymore. You don't flirt with it anymore. One of... Martin Luther King Jr.'s favorite passages is also just a few verses down. But it starts with this. I hate, this is God, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. I cannot read verse 24 without getting goosebumps. Just hit it again. I cannot let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. That's our job. That's worship to God. As the teens learned in their week, they, they read again and again that our worship is the renewing of our mind. It is changing our attitude toward things. If you drive up in a brand new car, I'm happy for you. I really am. I'm not opposed to brand new cars. I'm not opposed to nice houses. I live in one. I'm not opposed to nice clothes. I, I see those. <laughs> I, um, I'm not opposed to, to any... I'm, don't get me wrong. It's not wrong to have stuff. It's wrong to have stuff to the point where you don't have to give to the poor, to the needy, to the church, to the missions, to that you're not. The Bible says we work with our hands so that we can share with those who do not have. That's the whole point of it. And we do wrong when we try to say, well, let's let the government do the charity stuff. No, you were told to do it. I was told to do it. We can't farm that out to another city. Let justice roll on like a river. Wow. You know, when we think of justice, sometimes we think of punishment, but that's not how God thinks of it. 
I was asked this week uh, a Twitter question. I always love it when a question comes in on Twitter because it's like, answer that in 140 characters, bucko. It says, can you interpret what it means when the Bible in Leviticus says not to muzzle the ox that treads out the corn? Oh my goodness, that was hard to pull off. What it means is God even looks at that ox and says, he's working. Back then, the, the, you would have a big log, a big pole, and you'd tie the, the, uh, the ox to it, and he'd walk around in a circle, and he would be treading on the wheat, we would call it, not corn, breaking down so that they could then thresh it and get the kernels, but they'd put a muzzle on him so he wouldn't reach down and grab some every now and then, and, and God says, no, 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 he's working. He gets to eat too. He shares in the labor. God even is concerned about the wages of an ox. Make sure he gets to participate. Wow. First of all, that should make you love God even more. Second, it should humble us that maybe we should adjust the way we treat people, especially those people who serve us. We should be the kindest people to workers, period. Whoever they are, we should be the people who shine with kindness. And we offer what we have to our God, but we also offer it to our neighbor. And who is our neighbor? Jesus answered that one. There's not a loophole. He picked the worst person he could have picked, a Samaritan. I know, you didn't go, <gasps> and recoil in horror. So let me do it again. He picked their worst enemy. What happens if a suicide bomber, the vest doesn't work properly, grossly wounds him? Are you the first to be there to tend to his wounds, to comfort him? That's a Samaritan to us. God said, you love him too. That's how you worship me. Wow. You're not off the hook. What if it's a person from another church? <laughs> they think they're worshiping God, but they're doing it wrong. According to us. <laughs> they're not our enemy. We, they are our neighbor. And anything we own is available to them. Anything we have. Jesus answered the question when he came to earth. Philippians chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, this is read this morning out of the message. I'm going to read it to you out of a real Bible. <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Stop right there. That's actually a very free kind of message-like translation out of the NIV. It really means he was God, but he let it go for you. He gave up who he was so he could be you. Rather, he made himself nothing. And again, free translation means he lowered himself to us, taking the very nature of a servant, 
being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it all started because God wasn't afraid to give up everything he had. And then he turned and looked at us and he said, follow me, do that. Do that. Last passage this morning. Amos 6, 3 through 7. You put off the day of disaster and bring near a reign of terror. In other words, all you're doing is shoving it back. We have the debt of this nation. You've been watching what's happening to Greece. We're only as a matter of years behind them when it comes to debt and GDP. And what are we doing? We're doing that so that politicians can get votes and go in rather than fix it and say the hard news is this has to be paid and we don't have the funds you can't do that you'll never get elected and so we vote for the people that will give us the most stuff and the debt piles up so you put off a reign of terror only to create disaster you lie on beds adorned with ivory doesn't sound comfortable but i'm assuming it means the post and such and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fatted calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. Mm. So what do we do? This is not a real upper here. But in, in a way, it is. As I said last week, when the world gets darker, shine brighter. In some ways, courts making decisions that go against us are doing us a favor because they're reminding us we aren't this world. We are resident aliens. We don't belong here. We have a different code, different rules, and we treat people differently than the world does even if the world says we can't, we smile and say we are a citizen of another country. We bow to a different God. Therefore, we follow Bob Pierce. Remember Bob Pierce? He's the founder of Samaritan's Purse. Maybe you've heard of that. Uh, Mark, if you'd go ahead and bring your team up. I know you need a couple of extra minutes to teach us a song get your people in place. I'll step off and let you have some room. Bob Pierce was in China talking about the love of Jesus when people brought him a, a young girl that had been beaten by her parents because she had wanted to be baptized. And the men, the, the, the people that brought the girl looked at him and said, this is what your gospel has done. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to feed her? No one will feed her now. He opened up his wallet. All he had left was, I think, a $5 bill. And he gave it to her. And he said, I don't know where, but I will find that for you the rest of your life. And he went back to his little hotel and he wrote on a scrap of paper, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. 
Let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. No longer live as British or Americans or as Tennesseans or as Michiganders. Live as Christians. Let our citizenship be in heaven.